I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run hip hop by the numbers on Twitter. I use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I'm director of the Fifth Element. My highlight the Fifth Hip Hop is knowledge. And as you know, bigger than digits is for the children. Sometimes you got to pull warning. Oh on yeah, the I, I mean, yeah. I, I was, I, I love. I, once I, once I thought of that the other day, I was just like, it's so interesting because it really is. Amount of time in past episodes, it's like I want your clit in a special way, <laughs> and then it's and it's shooting up trans people in a bar. Mm. And you know what I mean? It's just, it's not, it's not for the children. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. But no. it is educational, so it's, uh, yeah. It's historical. It's a historical. I mean, we're journalists in the end, so you've got to, um, you know. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, hi Ben. How has your holidays been? What have been this week? Yeah, been well, all right. For the final week of 2021. I uh, know the final week. Uh, our final episode of 2021. We will record again. Uh, I think on Friday or one of the days. But um, but yeah, our final episode of 2021. Uh, I listened to Magic by Nas. Now. Sometimes I wonder what life would have been like if social media existed in the 90s and the early 2000s outside of just forums because news travels very quickly. And before I even listened to Magic, I knew it was an album of the year contender and it was likely Nas's best album since Illmatic. Annoyingly, what this did was leave me a little bit underwhelmed because, you know, Nas's beat selection, which was once his weakest part, is now his strongest suit uh, with Hit Boy locking in. Boy, it kind of shines a light on Nas's other weaknesses, the notably the way he kind of slips cringe and sometimes alarming bars into his music. Um, woo for the children, you know, this came full circle very quickly. Uh, on Woo for the Children, he ends his second verse, One girl for the rest of your life, is that realistic? Some had told me they like when you call them all type of bitches. Ran through a few of them, some gangsters, some Christians, some with a heart full of hate for me, even with a new man. They label me a sinner because I left with their soul. There's really no f- other feeling having that type of control. And then the chorus is, got to be a special type of woman to deal with my life. Got to be a special type of woman to feel what I write. And, you know, I was listening to Streets Disciple yesterday and it reminded me of the nipple, squeezing nipples to like pimples to get the puss pus line oh god and it just you know it just dragged me out of the experience and you know when those bars hit me you know after i've just seen b-dot proclaim it as one of the best albums of the year based off 12 hours of release i'm thinking i'm getting it was written part two and what we got was a mix of kd1 and kd2 and i think there are some stunning bars on here don't get me wrong he says all of the watches stay on the eastern time zone i love that bar that just hit me uh, start a company from one of my phrases. I'm 21 years past the 27 club. And listen to how vivid he paints the start of the second verse of the truth. He says, Now you got your marching orders. This shit will make your mouth water like food grill with wood chips, wool rich, button up flannel looking wolfish, my hair wolfing, central booking, simple lessons, one foot on the curb, one foot in the Lexus. My style is eclectic. Eat you pussies for breakfast, then I offer refreshments. Like, 
It's Nas, man. It's Nas. It's a good album. But please relax with de- declaring things so incredible. You know, like this is the greatest thing since they invented Valium. It just builds something up way too high. And then we get an inadvertent Icarus situation where Nas flies too close to the sun, but he didn't even want to, you know. So I think it's a good album. I'm going to need more listens. Uh, but I haven't really gone back to KD1 and KD2. I think they're going to be sleepers for me. I think they're going to be something I come back to in, in the future. Um, Elijah Kyle, Ring Season, super solid from Elijah Kyle, who really inhabits a motivational role beautifully, drawing from his own life experiences. He transforms these beats from bangers to thoughtful pieces of art. Humble Beginnings might be one of the best beats of the year, and that beast, which is wild. There are war moments, breakdowns. Uh, I think Paint Me the Villain is kind of like the whole album in a nutshell. It begins with a genuine slap with uplifting bars, and then it slips into a really delicate moment in the middle. And then Elijah Carl ramps his vocals up at the end and he takes it right over the top. I think the beats are really engaging. Fool's Gold. Uh, I don't know what that sample is, but I swear I've heard it before. It's, it's a neck breaker. It really is. So I really enjoyed that record. Vic Spencer, Time Sunny Jim, Spencer for Higher 4. I love how Vic Spencer doesn't rest on his laurels. You know, he ducks and dives through some inventive flows and new cadences. Contract Killer is not something I was expecting. That's a good example of that. He resisted the temptation to chop it up with Twister on Flamboyant Waves. You know, Twister skates, as always, um, quadruple time or whatever you call Twister, just like out of this world. Uh, Next to Rocky Fresh on Floating Sharks, he sounds menacing. The production on here is next level. Definitely applies that Griselda blueprint with a touch of Just Blaze flair. Great project. Uh, Ali Rocket, Apollo Boy Deluxe. This album is so varied, you know. I'm Gone has a sped up chickmunk video game type beat. Uh, I think Uno the Activist. Before Hello drops right off. You know, there are a few tracks on here that slide really close to Drill. Big Step could be on an early 2000s Rockefeller album. Ali Rocket is engaging in adept on everything this project throws at him. I think Big Step, Amphibian, uh, whatever it is, they're really solid tracks. They're a good expression of what this album is. And finally, Dramatic, you'd be surprised. 37 monthly listeners might be a new record for the lowest that I've uh, come in here on this pod. And that's that's no diss whatsoever to him. And it's a bit egregious that he only has that. He deserves 100 times that. And this project is really nice. Genuine immersive listen. Dramatic has this monotone delivery which barrels through each beat like the the you know what it reminds me of I was watching Unstoppable the other day I think it's Unstoppable the one with um Denzel and the train and uh this album just this album just reminds me of that shit man it's um Mm. yeah the beats ranging from Kanye-esque on UNICEF to Clams Casino and Hidden Lotus and I can't find the production credits so he might have done it himself shout out to you if you've done it yourself that's crazy he can spit too Intro to Aesthetic is an impressive and really dexterous lyrical display coming after an impactful sample and lyrical content centered around black excellence. You know, that's a huge theme on this record and and it permeates everything he says. It's another example of truly good music that I think forced it to cracks a little bit. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. So that was me, Charlie. What about yourself? Yeah, so I got to... uh projects to end my year um start off with Sharice all caps uh remedy little ep um i loved her performance on nubian twists album uh freedom fables uh, in the summer uh, and that was very uh you know just 
alternative jazz album and she just and she was on there several times and they were all just really good performances and very varied as well in terms of deciding what she was going what what she was going for on those particular tracks um this is her actual work uh, i think it's her first ep um yeah it's just a really good really good r&b and i feel like i'm gonna uh, keep note of uh, keep note of her for the future. I think I feel like she's got some good stuff here. Um, Remedy, Rise, Water, uh, very simple titling, but um, just some really good stuff all all around there. Um, so a solid four track EP right there. Uh, Vic Spencer, Sunny Jim, Spencer Fire Four. Um, I remember listening to the third one and like immediately putting it on my album list that year because um, I remember just listening to stuff like Eloquent Listening and stuff like that, and it was just like. It's like this. This, the, this is the hip hop I want right now. This is exactly what I want. Um, and Vic Spencer, obviously, with the you know kind of like a, a some sometimes bipolar attitude in terms of how he comes with stuff, subject matter, the constant weed bars, which I'm always here for. Uh, obviously, Sunny Jim comes off with the comes off some raps on here as well, which is uh which is uh, nice. I <laughs> it took me till like a, a week or so ago, actually a week before this dropped, uh, to notice that he was British. I didn't even clock. Until then, um, and yeah, he came through some bars, and yeah, that was nice. Uh, contract took killer was just that, that beast, so filth, fucking filth, like <laughs> immediate regretation. Right, if I had dropped earlier in the year, that probably been my songs of the year. I'm not gonna lie to you, I immediately put on regretation, that was just absolute heat. Uh, but yeah, real solid project overall, and uh, great features all around. Uh, Nas Hipboy Magic. Um, yeah, I I I kind of echo um those kind of sentiments. I didn't I didn't see I wasn't seeing the oh um the album the year stuff uh, beforehand before I listened to it, which is good. Um, I did enjoy it. I think it's good. I think it's a nice little care package for the end of the year. Um, I will I say it's better than KD two. I think there's more just memorable stuff on KD two. But with that said, it's only been a few days as of this recording, so. You know, can't can't read that much into it in terms of my solid opinion on it. But it's a good album. I I can't complain. It's um, it's Nas and Hip Boy Man. Like that, I've <laughs> don't give it away. But I've I've said recently um that this is just a they could just keep going here and it's it's gonna be gravy for all for both of them for both parties. I feel like if 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 Hip Boy just stopped producing ever forever. He could literally just die happy, saying, "I brought back the, I helped bring back the career of a legend and lit a fire up his ass." And then Nas could say, "You know, oh, what are you saying about beats? Huh? What, what was that? What was that? Be- beats? What? Do I pick poor beats? Oh, oh, okay, that's great. So yeah, no, so he's, they're, they're basically three for free, um, pretty much. Uh, and lastly, last album um, of the of this year, anyway, in terms of the show, uh, is Alicia Keys's Keys." Um, so this is her final album on RCA. She's going independent. Um, so salute to her on that front. Obviously, this is a true double album. It cuts up into about fifty minutes for the first one, forty-five for the other one, and uh, yeah. So it's split up into the first disc is like originals, quote unquote, and the other one's called Unlocked. And uh, basically, the originals, the first half is by far the best half um i i, f- I feel like uh, there's another album i was trying to think of that i had this guy you know <laughs> not quite dj shadow levels like it's not quite the apathetic cage levels in terms of like which one i prefer because the second disc to apathetic cage was just <laughs> so it was deep like <laughs> apathetic cage was so 
deep in terms of like uh, how I which one I preferred. Um, but you know, Keys is the first half is just really freaking good. It's 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 just the it's just what I want from Alicia Keys overall. Just her a piano, throw some small stuff on there, very minimal, and her voice just goes off like on all of the tracks. Uh, Nat King Cole. Um, Oh, that my first track with a uh, push a T on it. My gosh, I feel just absolutely just so clean. It's so clean. And you know, the second half isn't bad, right? You know, there's there's a couple of originals here. Uh, there's a couple of unlocked uh, tracks here um, that are, don't that don't feature on the. There's like six new tracks. There's six six new. There's six tracks in between that like you know that are not that haven't been kind of remixed, so to speak, right? And yeah, you know. La La with uh, Sway Lee, really good. I actually really enjoyed that one. Um, Lil Wayne and Nat King Cole Unlocked was not bad. Didn't mind that. Um, wasn't really too into Come For Me with Khalid and Lucky Day. Um, and just overall on the, unlocked ver- on the Unlocked version, which was kind of like headed up by Michael Made It. Um, yeah, man, I just... It's cool, right? If, if Disc 2 dropped and I never heard of Disc 1, I'd be like, this is cool. It's a fine album. But you're giving me the first half, which is just so good. Her on Is It Insane... Six minutes of just her blasting vocals is just absolutely silly, right? And um, you know, and then the unlock version, it's just sight, sight. You know what I mean? It's just, it's kind of I want to say it's a letdown, uh, but it's just like I, I don't know. It's 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 weird, but yeah. List of the first version, uh, I'd suggest um, you know, and if you like some sort of, if you like a little different, little little twist to them on the others. Because they're not that much of a jump. They're not that high of a jump in terms of like the difference between like one track on the original version, one track to the unlocked version. What well, some of them sound clubby, if anything, um, on the second version. It's not really like hip hop centric. Some of them are, like really dancey, um, which I'm not. Which I'm not like battering, but you know, it's just it's it's not the first half. The first half was just outstanding to me. Um, she just shines on it. Basically, what I'm asking for, Miss Alicia Keys, if you're listening, um, now that you're independent, just do a jazz album for me, please. Just just do a really good, just f- fucking vocal jazz album. Get the piano in, get some get some guitarists or something, get a couple of trumpets, saxophone, something like that. You know what I mean? Just get like a get like a mini orchestra of strings. Like that'd be just absolutely amazing. Amazing. I've just um, uh, I nearly dipped into the Australian there. Well, amazing. Um, so yeah, it's 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 solid. Um, the first half anyway. But, um, yeah, you know, it's good. It's a good double album for for what it is. However, that said, we shall head off to the Brooklyn Zoo and um, cover our chapter two of the Book of Woo. You gasped with that title, eh? Gasped with that uh, title. I love it. I looked I actually googled to try and I thought the Book of Woo has got to be a thing, but it isn't. It's um, it's not a thing. It is now. It is, it is bro. It is. It is. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know that. But it is not. <laughs> I didn't know that. But I'm glad no, you told him. Glad, glad I didn't uh, unknowingly uh, uh, bite bite someone's flow. But um, yeah, man. Chapter two of the Book of Woo, and we're covering ODB on this front. And uh, yeah, mm. it's gonna be interesting. I think there's a lot of storytelling here. Um, obviously, there's two albums to get to get to get into. Um, but I feel like the 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 outside story is kind of more fascinating on that front. Um, I will say outright that um, the albums themselves Oof. don't really excite me that much. Um, but yeah, I okay. mean, hot, this hot from the man that clearly, doesn't uh, like grinding. So everyone's every. <laughs> <laughs> I like grinding. The beat is overrated. Stop saying I don't like grinding. Okay, if I could do the beat right now on my freaking microphone, which I won't do because you know for the sake of quality, but, you know. <laughs> 
bro, stop it. Just allow right, allow right. me. Stop saying I don't like it. <laughs> don't piss me off. Right. So what look, you, man. Look, that's um. Yeah, I'm laughing, but this is a sad episode. This can be a sad episode because when I watch interviews with ODB and hear people talk about him, I see a lot of people implying he was the way he was, and his circumstances forced him down a path that tragically led to his early passing. And much has been made about his mental state. Uh, some say he suffered from schizophrenia. Some say bipolar. Riz's words at ODB's funeral explain the difficulties pretty succinctly. He said, when I think of Aeson, because that's what we called him, Aeson Unique, I will take part of the blame because Dirty said to me, yo, I'm dying. And I didn't pay attention. I just kind of thought, that's just Dirty, you know. He was just saying that. Now, I read an interview with Sophia Chang, who was the former mem- manager sorry, to Wu members, and she said, could you imagine, I haven't read it, book, I haven't read it, worth it? Someone, someone wish this, uh, like called Baddest Bitch in the Game or something like that. I just, uh, her interviews are great, um, so, so shout out to, to. Every time I, yeah, every time I read her, she's um, she's incredible. And, and she said this, and it's very evocative, could you imagine being so addicted to a substance that you have to use it just to feel fucking normal? But also, there are people in this industry who want to stay on that gravy train. So rather than going to a famous person and saying, honey, I think you've got a problem. I think we need to talk about it. They say silent because they're so afraid of jeopardizing access to the good life. Now, maybe ODB never had a chance. Okay, like in the off-sided, often-sided 98 uh, MTV interview, which is very painful to watch, by the way. ODB claims he's sober before saying red wine helps him with his creativity. I'll speak more on that in a second, but I wrote this whilst researching the the episode. ODB is crazy. ODB is a genius. ODB is the only person to ever exist on that level. Now, these are all things that his friends and collaborators and associates have said about him so many times. There are hundreds of permutations in this vein. And imagine the pressure that exerts on the mind of a young artist, especially one prone to mental illness. Now, the MTV interview I mentioned is on YouTube, and they dub it a lost interview. And it's a vulnerable and unwell man paraded in front of a camera and asked questions designed to provoke emotional responses. The interviewer was even cavalier enough to ask at one point whether ODB could ever have foreseen being so big that he would have the gracious, generous honor of being interviewed by the deity that is MTV. Now, those are not his exact words. But asking ODB if a year ago, could you see yourself being so big you'd be on MTV is so fucking redundant unless the interview was conducted in 1994, which it wasn't. Came directly after his arrest for failing to pay child support in 1997. So Wu-Tang already had an album out. He already had an album out. It's just that, that interview pissed me off so much. Now, ODB was not an enigma, nor was he a man of contradictions, but he was a man of convictions and ideals and a fierce desire to carry them out. Now, he was born in Brooklyn in 68, and as we established last week, is the cousin of Jizza and Rizza. And if you'd like to know that early story, you, know, you can hop back into last week's episode on Jizza. Now, Rizza said that ODB's was the party house. You might go over there and hear James Brown, Marvin Gaye, The Doors, Led Zeppelin. ODB said his inspiration was old school singers. Now, Raekwon said that he would sing Donny Hathaway and Roberta Flack, and people would have no fucking idea what he was doing. But ODB was obsessed with that era. He started studying the mathematics, and he chose the rap name Aeson Unique, and he heavily impressed upon everyone around him the 12 Jews of Islam, 
which in the Amazon documentary on him are a little bit different to those that I can find uh, elsewhere and those that Riza has mentioned, but I won't dive too deeply into it because that is not my forte at all, as we established on the brand new being episode. But when we do speak about Wu-Tang Collective, we will speak on this because it heavily informs their content at stages. Now, we know from last week that Jizz's friend Melquan helped both Riza and Jizz in label citations. ODB's was a little bit different. Now, Stretch and Bobito was a huge helping hand in ODB's explosion. Rizza was up there one night, and he brought along ODB, at the time known as Aeson Unique. Now, ODB went absolutely wild with it. As usual, he actually began singing Tommy by The Who, which is legit out of left field because that record was out of pocket even in rock circles. Now, Bobito said that he was immediately lovable, and he started rapping a verse from Brooklyn Zoo. Now, Dante Ross from Electra said he heard him rhyming on the show and immediately came to the show and asked Rizza to come to his office in order to sign ODB to a lecture. Now, Rizza's response to Dante Ross is hilarious, as in Rizza's response to what Dante Ross said. He told Amazon, you can't sign a record deal that easy. Like, just sign right here and your whole life is gone. Now, Dante Ross, now this is interesting, Dante Ross wanted Method Man and ODB as a group. Uh, but Rizza, as we know, is incredibly strategic with his move. Dante Ross pitched them as the new P- EPMD or Run DMC. That would have been wild, man. I would have That would have been really fast. I don't think anyone could be the new EPMD, but it would have been incredible. But Rizza wanted ODB solo, and he actually wanted Method Man at Def Jam with Russell Simmons. So Rizza allegedly pointed at the wall in this meeting with Electra and said, I'm going to put him with the gods. And on that wall was Brand Nubian. So reflections on ODB from this time fall heavily on the side of him either being a revolutionary in the game or I'll get to it in a second, but mainly being a revolutionary. He actually claimed in an interview that he was mixing singing with rapping in a melodic rapping cadence before anyone else had ever done it. And, you know, I can't I can't think of anyone... Before that, the people prior to that were, were kind of going half and half, you know, like Queen Latifah was singing and then rapping. Biz Monkey was singing and then rapping. So, you know, people around him said that the energy and the vibe he brought to music was not matched anywhere. And he wasn't a lone creator. You know, ODB thrived in collaborative environments. Jesus said that he and ODB were working regularly on routines, hooks, bars, verses. Uh, Method Man even claims that ODB took most of his lyrics from his debut album from RZA and Jizza. And he said to Rolling Stone, the majority of the verses on that album are old Rizza rhymes and Jizza rhymes. Dirty took all their shit and made it his own. And Jizza didn't say shit. Most of Dirty's verses was Jizza's shit. I remember Jizza and ODB got an argument one night and Jizza was like, most of that shit on your fucking album is mine anyway. For what it's worth, in an interview, ODB did say that Jizza was pivotal in helping him with the direction and sound he had. In a 2002 Guardian interview, he called ODB... Uh, they called, sorry, ODB, quavering, blustering, psychotic, the drunken monk, the lascivious, welfare-grabbing, coke-snorting ghetto superstar who still got to guest on Mariah Carey Records. There's a lot of bullshit written around fucking ODB, and we'll get into it in a, in a little bit later, but ODB's upbringing was harsh and unyielding, and... Many a YouTube commenter will tell you that the pain behind his eyes is not only visible, it's infectious, and it drags you down despite ODB always being able to put a smile on your face. He was brought up on welfare in Brooklyn, he spent time in a group home, he had a children as a teenager. By the time he got to his debut album in 1995, <coughs> excuse me, um, 
ODB had lived a life as varied and as exciting as anyone, and he was only 27 years old. And his early story, man, is 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 pretty crazy. Yeah, I I I think the thing that uh sticks to me the most is probably the uh was a quote where he basically says to him, "I'm dying." I'm just, uh, I th- I think that's the one that kind of uh sticks to me the most out of all of that. Um, I don't know what point that was in 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 their respective careers, but um, yeah, I th- I feel like that really uh sticks with sticks with me, and it's it's kind of jarring overall, kind of trying to uh contextualize someone like this because of the um, it's kind of like kind of like that that circle that some people have where. Uh, they're having success, but is still like is still on a foundation of just uh really rickety, you know, anything. Uh, you know, insert insert thing here. Psyche, I guess. Let's just say that for lack of a better phrase. Right, the foundations are very ricky. Um, but you also have one of the tightest collectives you've uh, we've ever seen in music. So, um. It's it's kind of it's kind of hard to to actually uh, think about it from his point of view in in a way that can be in a way that in a way that makes sense to me personally, right? Because if you have a guy like that, I don't know how you. I, like it's clear, it's clearly that element of just like okay, this guy was clearly just um about music in a way, right? Especially in terms of the knowledge of it, um, because when we get to the albums themselves, there are you know multiple, uh, you know, pretty much covers of um of, cer- of certain tracks. So you know, it's clear that he was musically inclined in a way. But it was just built on like the most rickety of foundations, to no fault of his own, right? Um, in well, in some in some ways, right? So in some ways, to no fault of his own. But it is like very bittersweet trying to th- trying to talk about him as a person because it's just like okay, you know, so he so he had this you know good music and he was part of a you know legendary group that we're doing a freaking that we called a book, right? And we're gonna do chapters on it. And he's a big chapter of it, and he's a big part of that, where everyone else is kind of just like in some fashion, like uh, so gifted in some ways, whether it's um, Jizz's intelligence or Riz's uh, creativity, leadership, production chops, whether it's Raekwon or Ghostface, uh, wordplay. Uh, Meth Man's ability to just um, you know, just jump from wherever he re- wherever he wants to go, probably the most versatile out of all of them, right? You know, obviously these people have their own skills, and then there's ODB where it's just like, okay, he's musically inclined, and he has a passion for it, but there's so much shit going on in this life. <laughs> Is so I I I'm I'm generally surprised there's just like there, there's actual albums to even consume right, um, because there's just so many hurdles in between and uh, apart from them that it just seems like how the hell did he actually even get anything done because there's just so much shit going on you know. 
Well, that's the thing. Like when I was researching this episode, ODB feels like completely unique in the Wu Tang collective. You know, there's no one like well, there's no one like ODB at all. But Wu Tang is very, it's very tight knit. But ODB kind of seems separate from the whole thing a little bit. And I don't know. I don't know if you feel that way, but it, it always felt to me like ODB was just. He was just a lot different, you know. He was a yeah. lot different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, f- I, f- I feel, I feel the same way. Um, when I watched, uh, when I watched, um, uh, off mics and men, mm. um, a little documentary series a couple of years ago. Uh, a big thing I remember out of all of it, because if you haven't, if you guys haven't seen it, um, basically it's like, uh, it's encased in a, a a day of filming. Let's just say where they're all in. They're all in like a cinema kind of area, um, and they're you know rewatching some stuff, right? And they talk about those certain things, and then there's just a, other footage of just like you know one on one interviews, and they talk about certain subjects, and uh, obviously and obviously archive footage, right? And they had a bit on ODB, and it was kind of just it, it kind of really sticks in my brain of how uh, in how they uh, talked about him, and not in like a you know, I'm not saying they said it in any negative way or whatever, but they just kind of just knew what the game was, right? And I don't think they, I don't think they could make a major change for him. Um, and instead, it was just like, let's just hope he stays on course, kind of thing. It's not like it's not trying. It's not like um, they're they're not they're not his manager, right? Um, they're not like trying to, you know, go. Hey, you need to be in the studio. You need to be in the studio. You need, you need to do this. You have commitments. Da 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 da. Right? They're just part of a collective, and you know, they're just there to make tunes. And you know, in the in the grander scheme of things, he's kind of like a, he is an enigma and a breath, in some ways, a breath of fresh air. Sometimes, because when I, when you sometimes listen to him on We Records, it's kind of um, it kind of ta- it it takes you out of 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 a certain thing. But it's not like it's 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 really jarring because you just know it's very he he comes at it in a very menacing way. So in some ways he kind of sticks to the script, but obviously he does it in such a unique way. Um, it's it, it just sticks out. Um, but uh, yeah, Sh- shout out documentary series by the way. Really, really, really solid work on that. Yeah, for real. There's so much woo content to consume. Is 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 so wild. So we get to his debut album, Return to Thirty Six Chambers, eighty one k first week, uh, best rap album Grammy nomination, number seven on the Billboard two hundred, seventy eight review average. Now ODB was so far off kilter in comparison to his, you know, his woo counterparts who were basically like metronomes in comparison. It made his debut album look like it had dropped from outer space. RZA bo- yeah. produced the bulk of the tape. Um, I think it's some of the most iconic Wu-Tang beats in history. Uh, Shimmy Shimmy Ya, Snakes, Brooklyn Zoo 2. ODB's distinct brand of humor is intricately weaved into everything on this tape. And I think that, in part, prompted Rolling Stone to call ODB the most original vocalist in hip-hop history. Now, that was 95. They said that. Mm, you know, it's not the worst shout in the world. Like, I guess. <laughs> Obje- like, uh, yeah, factually, probably correct. But yeah. it kind of gives it kind of gives off that essence of like the term vocalist is I it, this is this is the thing I've been thinking about as a minor tangent where it's just like 
people p i'm not a singer i'm a vocalist okay bro like okay right um but you know it's 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 it, there is a there has to be a difference there i feel uh if you're gonna is drake a vocalist right or is I he mean, just a is he just a half decent singer right it's it's kind of you, you don't know what, i don't know what to do with those words and i don't try to but uh it is interesting of just how they just use vocalist and just not voice like if they said voice i'd probably mm. I, i'd see i'd see where they're going with that this is the fact they said vocalist kind of just like um in in some circles i'll probably rub the wrong way by the way the 1996 uh Wow, what a horrible! Uh, well, not horrible. What what a, what a list! Amazing list. So, Naughty by Nature, Poverty Paradise, Two Pack, Me Against the World, Bones, Nugs and Harmony, E Ninety Nine Eternal, uh, ODB, and Skilos. I wish. <laughs> what was this? What a oh, rad, best what a, best rap album. Nineteen ninety six. This is nineteen ninety six. We've Same. been saying for so long that nineteen ninety five, ninety six is like so stacked. How did the infamous and... not get a shout on that? Bro, there's so many I could that we could literally think of right now. It's just like, how did it not make a list? Ski, no disrespect to Skilo, but come on, like, how, and how did against the, me against the world not win that? I don't know, but who won? We need to we, we need to, we need to do annoyed by nature. Um, uh, Poverty's Paradise, but not annoyed by nature. We need to do a uh, annoyed by nature retrospective one day. So maybe it is better than me against the world. Who knows? I haven't listened to it, so I won't say. But um, yeah, me against the world is just. Anyway. I mean, yeah. anyway, continue on. No, no, like I agree. I um you know, I think Shimmy Shimmy Ya and Brooklyn Zoo are two of the most iconic songs that hip hop has ever produced. Um uh, it's more than just memorable production. ODB's energy was infectious in a positive way. In a brilliant dissection by uh Sean Osei Owusu in the Huffington Post entitled Reflections on Old Dirty Bastard Ten Years Later, ODB is presented to us as infinitely more than just a hype vocalist. His stance on welfare and criminal justice is very admirable and heartfelt, and he also has a deep distrust of government, uh, and he presents about the complexity of life itself. You know, that that piece is just incredibly written, and it's a man who presented as someone who loved his kids but who was in trouble for not paying child support. In interviews, ODB is so unapologetically authentic, you're inclined to blame it on drugs every single time. Maybe that's prudent. Maybe that's the complexity of looking at this record retrospectively because we know part of what fueled it also took ODB's life. And as listeners, we're forced to sit with the uncomfortable truth that a piece of art that we love and adore was also created under the influence of destruction and mayhem. And this piece of art is brilliant. It's, it's genius. Uh, ODB's energy is chaotic. There are clips of him recording this and... There's one clip with the engineer imploring ODB to turn his energy up even further, to go even harder. And that's kind of painful to watch when you pair it with that really difficult 98 MTV interview where he said red wine helps his creative process. And then you lurch in the other direction. Like, maybe things would have been even worse for ODB had he not had Wu-Tang. Because once this album released, things began to unravel quickly. And I'll get that to that in a second. But this record, to me, is even more of a time capsule than Words from the Genius that we spoke about last week. This record is a genius at capacity. And everything after that is the downward spiral. No one from Wu had an arc like ODB. It's like you could never see where his whims would take him next on, on just in general in life, but especially on this record. 
And that was just a microcosm of his life. You know, on Drunk Game, he's singing. On Snakes, he's spitting absolute venom next to lyrical legends. Cutting Heads sounds like it was a throwback to 1988. And I'll speak on what happened between this record and his next after we talk about the music on the next record because I want to get a little bit deep on that. It's been a bit of an emotional journey researching this episode and learning about ODB. But, um, Charlie, if you want to talk about uh, his his debut album and how you felt about it. Um, it kind of, uh, I think, I'll, 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 split, I'll split it in two. Like, because um, I do think retrospectively, you do make a good point in how it comes about, and and how I didn't listen to it with that in mind. I just listened to it just to listen to it and to see what I, well, see what I liked. Firstly, um, you know, obviously, Shimmy Shimmy Ya and Brooklyn Zoo are just you know iconic tracks in uh hip-hop history i think um it's just the way he said brooklyn just the way he says brooklyn zoo is so fascinating i just love it like brooklyn zoo i i, I don't know it just feels um it, it does really feel throwback the way he says it it kind of feels like block parties in the early 80s of just someone uh just someone rapping right it, it's it sounds like a cypher in 1981 um in the middle of the bronx or something it just sounds very fascinating um and you know the lyrics the verse well the verse themselves that itself it's just one uh, big ass verse but um yeah you know it's, it's great i love it um uh never been taken out keep mcs looking out drop science like cosby dropping babies enough to make a nigga go crazy in the g building taking all types of medicines you asked or uh you were better than Ason, I keep planets in orbit while I be coming with deeper and more shit enough to make you break and shake your ass as I create rhyme good as tasty cake makes. Mm-hmm. It, it's just it's it's unique. It's, it's unique in that in that place. front of just like yeah. yeah, you just don't you don't know where he's gonna go there. So in that in that little bit I've just I've done there, G building, uh, taking medicine, but then he keeps planets in orbit. I'll make I'll, I'll you know enough to make you break dance shake your ass but then he tastes good as tasty cake I don't know what tasty cake is I'm gonna look it up right quick I but mean, it must it's be pretty tasty right <laughs> yeah it's, 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 it sounds it sounds American right a line of snack foods uh made in Philadelphia okay so they look they okay so they have several things so they have uh juniors which looks like uh, kind of like a chocolate top. And then two fillings of, uh, well, a filling of chocolate in the middle, and then like, uh, I forget, I forget the, uh, I forget the main sponge, oh, right? See. Sponge basically. Crimpets looks, the crimpets look nice. Crimpets look nice. They look like, um, yeah, oh. just general uh, cupcakes. They look like cupcakes, to be honest. The snowballs um, look great. I want some snowballs. Yeah. Coconut covered cream oh, filled right. chocolate cake. Snow, snow, snowballs are great. Just macaroons. Yeah. Love macaroons. Love macaroons. Shout yeah. to macaroons. Man- Shout to coconut and chocolate, by the way. I I, just, mm. I don't know I don't, minor tangent I don't know how the fuck I'm in the minority of pe- of people not liking uh uh coconut and chocolate the majority of people not liking coconut and chocolate are you yeah, mad? I don't, you, I don't people, really, you people are crazy I don't really don't like it, it that much I think it's no it's not a great mix it's great it's great it's great just, oh, I don't know I don't know I don't know how I'm uh, out of, out of the uh, minority on that one you just I'll unique, take it Charlie, anyway it's okay. <laughs> Okay, uh, so yeah, um, 
and yeah, you know, apart from that, uh, I tried. To, I was trying to like get into other stuff, and um, nothing. Kind of just. I don't. I don't know why not much of it stuck with me. And you know, I kind. I don't want to say it in terms of just like, because uh, obviously the features were feet were were there, but I didn't want to rest my laurels on the features because it's clear that Method Man and Raycon and Rawhide are just gonna, you know, are, are just gonna do something with that, right? I, I'm not. I'm not. It's it's just gonna happen, right? <laughs> Method going coming through with it. Do you be the woo? Find yourself in the square and see it's true. Like, it's just gonna be good. I just know it's gonna be fine, right? Um, but obviously. ODB is just such a wild card. I don't. I, I. I just don't know whether it's going to be fine or not. I saw. I saw the time. Um, the time stamp in. And I was just like, why is Brooklyn Zoo like seven minutes? I was, I, was, I was so put off by that. And then I was listening to it. And I was like, okay, it is a part two, and it's kind of just more like a. It's it's sort of like a remix to the first to Brooklyn Zoo one. Um, that's how I. That's how I gather it. It kind of just gives off that essence, and I don't mind that. Uh, seven minutes, twenty seconds, by the way. Um, yeah, and then you have protect, protect your neck two. Um, it's kind of just more of like a overall woo track, if anything. Considering there's like twenty million people on it. Um, yeah, you know, kind heads is cool. Dirty dancing's cool. Uh, Harlem World is. Um, I, I was not into that. <laughs> that was not. That was not the best finish uh, of all time. But yeah, man, I just um. As an album, I, I I'm not, I wouldn't say like I would listen to this casually in any fashion. I don't really think I'd listen to this on par, apart from if I was doing a retrospective on it, which we are. Um, obviously, I don't mind Shimmy Shimmy on Brooklyn Zoo. I don't mind some of these tracks, but as an overall album, not really. I don't know. Nothing really sticks to me apart from the obvious. Uh, the deep cuts just don't do much for me. But as I said, that's just in terms of just what I, uh, in terms of me listening to it. But in that realm in that context of retrospective lens that you're talking about it is interesting it does add an interesting layer to it i think you already said it in terms of how daunting it is um you know hearing them kind of goading him on which i which i initially didn't think would would have been the case i thought it'd be like whoa chill yeah but they wanted more of it mm. that's kind of fascinating to me because i thought it was the other way around um until then so that's interesting to think about but um yeah the thing about it is like it that seems to be a bit of a theme with interviews with music with everything with odb it's like people really lifted him up for that chaos and that mayhem because it was something totally different and unique and it was creating incredible music uh but i think it fell away on the second album um I didn't enjoy the second album. Uh, it went number What's 10. What's it called, Ben? <laughs> it went number 10 on the billboards. It's called Please. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Yes, it is, Ben. Yes, it is. It <laughs> went number 10 on the billboard 200. Um, it sold 93K first week, so it did slightly better than his previous record, which is surprising. I, I guess not that surprising. I mean... His previous record was uh, is a classic. This is not a classic in my mind, um, at least not from what I've read. Uh, 73 review average, very well received. It is a switch up though. So the Neptunes hop onto production here. They get three credits. Irv Gotti gets a couple of credits on here. Oh gosh, those beats were horrible. I'm sorry. Irv Gotti. Irv, Irv Gotti. Gotti just put his foot in it in the wrong way. So RZA takes a back seat for sure. And you would have thought that Neptunes times ODB would be a super hit. Because the way he blends rapping and singing, 
absolutely got your money got your money works really well i love that but the other neptune's tracks just fall super flat rolling with you oh really yeah rolling with you getting high highlights but the other songs like on here with the neptune's it's just that sometimes look sometimes sometimes the neptune's when they put their b-sides and c-sides on albums it's like you need the a you need the a tier need the a tier and it just i don't know it just didn't hit me because i think the odb sounds he sounds fraught and he lacks direction you know the skills are there but it's almost like the problem we said with the the nas and the kanye album it's like he recorded his vocals as acapellas and people just try to put beats under them and maybe he's maybe he's (laughs) Someone said that um, Magic was car this... Car the cage, car shot the cage, car, 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 oh, car no, shit. Oh, no, that's fire. That song. <laughs> too that... loud, too loud. Oh. Couldn't hear Nas on it. So, anyway. someone actually told me that Magic was the square up. That was the uh, that was the square up for the fans after his Kanye album. I don't know why they said that, but I don't know. But, um, look, man, I think the skills, the skills are here, as I said. But maybe he's just too outside his zone to create something coherent enough to make sense from track to track. I don't think it's a bad record. It's just not the same as his debut. And yeah, man, like I'm not going to say too much more. I just I felt like it wasn't, it just didn't hit me like the debut album did. It was just a little bit too scattered for me. It just went too far off the off the track. Yeah. So, this has a couple of covers on it that kind of fascinated me. The first one being Cold Bloody, which is a cover of uh, Rick James. And uh, also Good Morning Heartache, uh, which has been sung many a time, uh, most notably uh, Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday. So, this kind of, that kind of, when, when I heard those particular tracks in terms of the, the fact they were basically covers, um, was, it, it really reminded me of what you were saying um couple episodes ago uh when we we're listening to l mag can you decide it makes me want to listen to l mag i'm not listening to odb doing good morning heartache right it's not, it's, you, i just want to I, I i don't get what those what those are achieving right apart from maybe some fulfillment on odb's part of just having you know kind of what you were talking about in terms of him singing uh singing to people just randomly uh certain songs right and you got to put it on an album that may be some sort of fulfillment and i'll i'll respect that if that's the case right <laughs> but <laughs> you're not our shiny elephants gerald the billy holiday fam like i'm sorry that's not gonna happen so i i don't really get the uh the reasoning for those tracks apart from maybe some personal fulfillment um yeah, apart apart from that, obviously, get got your money. Um, which even though I really like that track, I just like the bounciness to it. It's just you know that that's a supreme Neptune's beat right there. <clears throat> and yeah, you know, it's uh, <laughs> I forgot how I forgot how just uh, grimy the track is from lyrical perspective. <laughs> yeah, some of it's, it's just pretty. It's it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty grimy. <laughs> you know. Um, Again, again, guys, the RTD for the children. Because, uh, bitch, I'll cripple your style. Now that you heard my charming voice, you couldn't get another nigga. Coochie mo- won't get moist. Uh, if you want to look good and not be bummy, you better give me my money. It's just, um, yeah. It's, 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 it's just one of those tracks that, like, really catchy, but it's just like, you actually read them, you're just like, oh, that's grimy. Um, 
you just know when there's a track called "I Want I Want Pussy," like it's just not gonna. It's just it's just it's just not gonna hit too hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. It it. I don't I don't mind most of the Neptune's production. I don't I like recognize um, to be honest. I like Chris Rock on there. Um the fact that Chris Rock uh, respect to Chris Rock man. I I keep forgetting how mu- how many like albums he's just on. Like, he's on like Buster Rhymes this year. He's on ODB shit. Like so he's been he's been on a few yeah, few, few no. albums. Is it was it's um, him on Kanye, right? Might be of Doctor's the Fantasy. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, 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 you know. And then, you know, and then uh, you know Pharrell going Mr. Courageous ODB. You to recognize the PIB. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's some, there's some stuff there. Um, but yeah, over, overall, Sam's not, uh, yeah, it's, a uh, just, a uh, yeah. I blame, I blame Irv Goy. Let's just do that. <laughs> Poor old Irv Goy. <laughs> Horrible 2000s beats, man. Fuck. It's oh, not even no. 1999 yet. He was he was ahead of the game. Fuck. Nah. He was ahead of the game. Ja Producing had 2000 beats. In the 2000s. Ja Rule and Ashanti. Oh, oh yeah. He oh, might yeah, have. Yeah, he yeah, might. Yeah, did he produce Foolish? Oh, don't say that. He don't did. Don't say that. Didn't he? Did he? I fucking hope not. <laughs> I'm, I'm Googling it literally right now because no, no, it's going to no, blow no, you. No, no, no. Producers. Let me get there first. Irv Gotti and Seven Aurelius. So he produced. Foolish in Clap 2000. Clap it up seven or radius. Clap it up. Oh, give me a break. 2002, Relax, man. <laughs> Clap it up He produced Mesmerize. <laughs> he produced Gangster Lovin'. Charlie, come I on know, now. I know, bro. I know. You're talking to an Ashanti. Always like, there when you call. But I'm, I'm here. I'm here, okay? I, those are he my produced tracks, What's right? Love. Fat Joe's okay, only yeah. good song. I, I, blame, I blame I I blame Fat Joe for me not liking that track. But anyway, yeah, he kind of <laughs> he kind of ruined that. Song, well, but. slow down, baby. Nope, nope. No, 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 no. no. Speed Let's up, baby. Speed, speed up. Speed it right up. Let's get speed the jar rule and Shanti. Ah. Anyway, anyway, um, look, <laughs> his debut album makes me ODB now. His debut album makes me feel deeply conflicted yeah, because in the 2002 Guardian published an interview with ODB and it was created while he was incarcerated, right? And it had the ominous sentence, he has not been a free man since 1999. Now, you could potently argue that ODB has never really been truly free. But on the flip side, you could say that he did spend one month on the run in the year 2000. And I guess it depends on your version of, th- of freedom and how you, you see ODB's life and career. Now, ODB was in this facility when the compilation album, The Trials and Tribulations of Russell Jones, dropped. Now, it came out via D3 because Elektra dropped ODB in 1999 after his legal troubles. The label trail for this compilation is lengthy, so I won't bore people with it here. But the way he speaks in this Guardian interview about the album is genuinely sad. He didn't know the features. He didn't know the artwork. When they told him that E-40 was on it, he's like, oh, I like E-40. He has the same birthday as me. Like, his shit was just sad. It was meant to be his third studio album, but because of ODB's lack of uh, involvement, they relegated it to just the compilation. And ODB's list of legal issues is lengthy. In 93, he was convicted of second-degree assault during an attempted robbery. 97, he was arrested for failure to pay child support. In 98, he pleaded guilty to attempted assault on his wife. 
He was on the other side of things too. He was shot in 94 by an unnamed rapper after they got into a disagreement in Brooklyn. In 98, someone attempted to rob his girlfriend's house while he was there and he was shot again, this time in the back and the arm. 1998 is when things truly began to unravel. Days after that attempted robbery, he was arrested for shoplifting a $50 pair of shoes despite having $500 of cash on him. He refused to appear in court multiple times around that charge. Now, it's actually weird that we know so much about ODB's criminal history, but Motherboard published an article in 2012 which took a deep dive into ODB's FBI file. Now, allegedly, according to this article, the FBI was investigating Wu-Tang as a criminal enterprise. I'll talk about that during the Wu-Tang episode. But on page 45 of the file, which was released under Freedom of Information Act, it speaks on ODB being targeted in a series of robberies on famous rappers. Now, the FBI file states that ODB's sister had heard that ODB would be killed if he returned to the projects. And that may explain why he had so many issues in LA around this time. He was arrested for criminal threatening. Uh, Some... Uh, outlets listed as making terrorist threats, but I'm not sure on the accuracy of that. That happened in LA twice. Then he was arrested for attempted murder and criminal weapon possession after a traffic stop in Ohio, but that case was dismissed. In 1999, ODB was shot at eight times by two police officers in Brooklyn because they believed he had shot at them, but he was cleared after no weapons or shell casings were found on or near ODB. Then, unbelievably, he was arrested for driving without a license, which is fine, but for wearing a bulletproof vest as a convicted felon. Now, apparently, that law had only just come into effect in America, and it was in—you know—he was arrested under it, despite the fact that just a month prior he was shot at eight times by the police, who would eventually arrest him for wearing a bulletproof vest to protect him against the police who had shot him in the first place. Like it's just—it's unbelievable. Two weeks after that, he was arrested again for drug possession and traffic offenses. And the Guardian article said that after his drug possession arrest, he was sentenced to three years probation and one year at Impact House, which is a drug rehab facility, the same one he would escape from in the year 2000. Now, that all has a point. I'm not, I'm not just writing this and reading this out to you to enthrall you all with real-life tales. It's not what I'm trying to do at all. For a month, ODB was on the run after escaping from the rehab facility. He even popped up at a Wu-Tang show in Manhattan before being arrested in a McDonald's car park in Philly. This resulted in a prison sentence of two to four years. In May 2003, he was eventually released. Now, there's a lot of issues there to unpack. Rolling Stone, who put their own name on this article and not the name of the writer, decided that a good way to start an article about ODB escaping a drug rehab facility would be the Wu-Tang Clan's pillar of maturity and wisdom, old dirty bastard, has been locked up again. Like, <sighs> journalism, man. When ODB left prison, he was immediately signed to Rockefeller Records. Now, 2003 Rockefeller Records was not 1999 Rockefeller Records. It was just months away from properly disbanding with the fractured relationship between Jay-Z and Dame Dash causing a rift in the actual artist himself. Now, RZA was not happy with the rock deal at all. There's a lot of footage of ODB from around this time. There was a VH1 reality show planned, and VH1 published a special in 2003 entitled Old Dirty Bastard on Parole. Now, it gave me heavy Death of a Dynasty vibes, which is the documentary that Dame Dash was directing. That was basically random snippets of the end of the Rockefeller reign. And Dame Dash appears in the VH1 special speaking about ODB's music, mainly around contractional issues with RZA. RZA spoke about this documentary uh, during Mike's of Mike's and Men. 
And I would imagine one specific part of that documentary about halfway through, ODB's in the studio and he gets a call about royalties and contracts and he just goes crazy. He starts going, he says, what's up with RZA? Is something wrong or something? Talk to me, man. Nip it in the bud. Take care of it. I ain't got no money. I ain't got no dimes in my pocket. He then starts screaming on whomever was on the phone and they hang up on him. Now, RZA said the documentary, the VH1 documentary is hard to watch, but I don't see that. It feels like Dame Dash is all over it. it. Just gives me that vibe. There's a lot of tense moments, a lot of talk of contractual obligations, monetary things. ODB seems sober, if not a little pissed off and agitated. He's conciliatory at times. There are party type scenes with Pharrell in the studio. There are scenes with Dame and RZA talking, but... I will concede the one part that is incredibly difficult to watch is the final scene with ODB. Um, He was months away from passing. He's sitting on his couch in a singlet. He looks healthy and strong, and he just says this. He says, the hardest thing about parole is staying off them drugs. That's the only thing that makes me happy and enjoy myself because life is boring to me. He then says he's never going to be fake on TV. If he says he's sober, he's sober. If he's not then he's not. And then there's a black screen that says ODB is still clean and coming home every night by 9pm before saying his parole is up in November 2004. Then we get the death of ODB section. He died 13 days after his parole ended and people speak candidly about what he was going through and it's fucking tough to watch. And there's a section that really upset me One of the people close to ODB, I think it was his manager, said that whilst he was in prison visiting ODB, the guard said he had a call from Clifford Smith when his manager said to him, you know that's Method Man, right? ODB's face apparently lit up and he said, Method Man cared enough to call me? Now there are conflicting reports. Some say that no one from Wu-Tang visited him while he was in jail. Some say that Method Man did. The Guardian asked him about his alleged suicide attempts and his mental health whilst in prison, and he said, I think things are a lot worse with me now. He said he couldn't take his medication while in prison for this reason. You have to keep your eyes open here so you can't take anything. This isn't a place where you would want to know what where you would want to not know what was going on. This place is full of convicts. And I get to the key of this whole episode. What the fuck happened? What the fuck happened? Why was ODB allowed to spiral so rapidly out of control? Why did no one attempt to put the handbrake on? Why was he even allowed to record a second album in the turmoil he was caught up in? If it's true that he had no money when he left jail, what was the use of the touring and the pressure he endured during the 1990s? In the Guardian article, they talked to Beth Jacobson, who has spoken a few times about ODB. And she says, I don't want to read what she says. I don't want to read what she says because it's fucking intense. I was going to read it out, but it's it's long and it's just, she basically says ODB was out of control. He was genuinely out of control. And she said, somebody should have, and I, I quote, somebody should have stopped him and said, listen, this shit is not going to fly. And ODB says, it was the drugs. It was the drugs. That's what he says uh, to, I think, to Beth Jacobson. She says that. And in an article on Salon, they spoke to Sophia Chang, who I mentioned earlier. Um, it was The article was written by Emily Realms, and I just want to read a tiny little bit of that. She says, In the documentaries about the Wu-Tang Clan, there are some journalists who say they're a family, and their love was very deep and real, and they look out for each other, I told Chang. But there are those who say that ODB was schizophrenic. He was very sick. 
And though he experienced severe trauma when he was incarcerated, nobody came to his aid. Nobody helped him. Nobody visited him. His attempts to self-medicate as a response to this trauma led to his death. Is it possible that some of the trauma could have been alleviated if members of Wu-Tang had been more supportive of him when he needed them? I know hindsight is always 2020. I would never put blame on anyone. But the competing narratives are confusing, I said. I'm wondering, as an insider, if you could address those conflicting stories. And Sophia Chang said, I think what speaks best to that is the eulogy Rizza gave at his funeral. Rizza got up at the funeral and stood in front of hundreds of people and said, when I think about Aeson, because that's what we called him, Aeson Unique, I would take part of the blame because Dirty said to me, yo, I'm dying and I didn't pay attention. I just kind of thought, that's just Dirty, you know, he's just saying that. And probably a number of people feel that way. I said that at the start, I say it again here. Now, a few pieces have been written on ODB's contribution to the discussion around mental health. We have plenty of evidence now to suggest he wasn't functioning on a level that was conducive to acceptable mental health. And I find, and I know I'm speaking a lot here, but I find the whole thing very sad. And I wanted to tell this story. I wanted to tell it a lot differently to how it's been told thus far, because I think it throws up some very interesting points of discussion for our future episodes. What role did Wu-Tang play? Are Wu-Tang a family or more of a loose collective in the same vein as Native Tongues or the Soulquarians? I always viewed Wu as similar to Locks, you know, super tight, shared histories. But the narrative about ODB doesn't necessarily feel that way. But we can flip it, and I want to I flip it as well. Remember that I'm a sufferer of mental illness, and I'm a recovered addict in a couple of areas. I have my own biases and my own filters, and I view everything through those. But even I will readily sit here and admit that I've cut people out of my life who were suffering badly but who were deeply toxic to my own mental health and my own existence. Now, I've seen comments on this story on both sides of the fence. Some say ODB needed to be nourished and cared for. Others say his behavior was so erratic and dangerous that people were merely protecting themselves. And I think both can be true. There's no blanket rule you can apply to everyone's situation. And, you know... I don't think there's any other conclusion really than that. That's that's what I'll say. I'll say that. I know I spoke a lot there, but yeah, I wonder what you think about that, Charlie. I think the I think the Rizzo quote that we've obviously said uh, twice in in part of this uh, really kind of just says not all of it for me, but. In the in in the biases that you were talking about, in terms of kind other people off that were suffering themselves, it I I feel like that was just the case where you're in the midst of literally like blowing up, blow both in terms of their solo careers and uh, as a collective as well. I literally when we when we go through these chapters, um, whenever we next uh, do the next two, and just throughout, or you can go ahead and just go look at their you know respective releases. You know, around this time, around those, around that ninety five to ninety to two thousand time, there's just so everyone's just producing their probably some some for some of them their best work, right, and. You don't, you don't have a, you know, you don't have a collective explosion like that, and uh, and and then you have to deal with stuff literally back home. That you know, I remember the one of the, one of the one of the moments I remember from with Mike's and Mem was like when they first went to Japan, 
and uh, like their first world tour and just how gassed they were doing that. I don't care who you are and how grounded you are. If you do something of that nature and of that kind of scope after a couple of years of just, you know, releasing uh, releasing music and whatever and your career is just, you know, taking off, having 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 a member that might be killed if he goes back to a certain street kind of feels minuscule in the grand scheme of things. Just don't, you know, the easy advice would be just don't go, just don't go there. Right, but there's also, but there's always, you know, um, extenuating circumstances with that, and they might, and they might not be out of that. You might be out of that, but they might not be out of that. So, what do you do on that front? The the fact I think the alarming point of all this is kind of just of how many people were around him, and how out of all of them maybe one visits him in jail right and just maybe one actually uh again either allegedly or whatever um whatever qualifying you want to put on it maybe one uh visit him at some point uh in the jail stint that i just that that's that speaks a lot of volumes to me and you know the fact that sophia went to the rizza quote and just went to there, and not actually putting her own spin on it, right? Um, that speaks a lot to me. So, is that you know, not not to not to like a you know pick apart words, but so because she said that, and say go to the Rizzo quote, and he's saying basically collectively failed. So is that just gospel then that they collectively failed? I mean, he died when he died, so clearly there was a collective failure. Clearly, there was also a uh, a systemic failure, right? And you could potentially drop him in a bucket of just um, just another uh, black person in America that got uh, that got shafted by the system and went down a death spiral loop. You could go down that road if you want to. Uh, but in my mind, I think both of I, I think both of the terms are correct, right? This is Wu Tang Clan. This is not uh, ri- this is not Joe Bloggs just there, right? They had resources, they had money, right? They had they could have. I feel they probably could have done something. Maybe it maybe it could have been from a uh, what's the word? Uh, from a place of. Because sometimes you have to force that shit. Maybe they didn't want to force it. Uh, maybe they didn't feel right forcing it, forcing stuff upon him to force him to, you know, just do what uh, do whatever uh, they think is right. Um, to, you know, just, yeah, just 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 to just to help him, right, or what they feel like is helping. Clearly, they went on the other side of just um, hope. Fingers crossed that he gets himself sorted. Um, but clearly, that wasn't the case. So. Yeah, I think there was just a lot of um, overall, probably just a lot of collective failure, systemic failure, and uh, <clears throat> kind of a miracle that we even got two albums from an artist's perspective. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll leave it there. But um, well, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's obviously a very <laughs> tra- 
trap kind no, of no, finish no. to it. But I think you make great points. But one thing I will say is I don't necessarily see post-97 ODB as the <laughs> ODB that needed saving because I think at that right. point he was already too far gone. What I sure. see as, you know, when they didn't visit him in jail, for example... We don't know. We don't know the story. We don't know what was said. We don't know what was done behind closed doors. You know, they mm-hmm. may have had very good reasons for that. They may not have. We have no idea about that. It may have just been really difficult. He was in a drug rehab facility for a whole year, so they may have thought, well, he ate, he is getting the help he needs. When I watched that interview with him um, at the end of the VHM1 documentary and he said, I just don't enjoy life without drugs. I'm not happy. I don't. I'm, I just feel like crap. That's too far in the future to be worried. Like, he's too far gone by that point. What I see the problem being pre-97, you know. Clearly, this was a man who was capable of both sides you know he he sustained a career he sustained he you know he didn't get into too much trouble really with the law until 97 98 so prior to that it sounds to me like i i think anyway i think probably it was a situation where he's very creative we're gonna you know we're seeing that he's doing incredible work on his debut album we're just gonna let him do whatever he wants and then unfortunately it pushed him too far to the point where he was not they couldn't bring him back from that and I think it's a cautionary tale, and I think a lot of the time these things are cautionary tales. If we look at the Isaiah Rashad story, um, it was a similar thing, and it took Musa and Top and everyone just really pulling together and working hard with him for years to try and get him back to a state where he was capable to even record another album. And those people are heroes. You know, the people that helped Isaiah Rashad are heroes, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the people that didn't help ODB are villains. It does not mean that. That's not how it works, you know. It's not it's not a zero sum game. It's not like you're either good or you're bad in this story and and we don't know the full story behind this whole thing, but my whole point is like it's important, man. It's important. When when I was young and and we were just, you know, kind of partying and stuff, we never knew that in 10 years some people would still be addicted to the things that we were enjoying back then. But we should have been cognizant of it, especially if it's a business situation, which it was with ODB and Wu-Tang Clan. So, you know, I know that that's a bit convoluted and a bit complex, but this whole thing is complex, man. And the whole thing is just is, is sad in the end. Um, it took me on a real, real roller coaster th- researching this episode. It's, um, it's very intense, very intense. Yeah, and then some, uh, but we shall leave it there. Um, for the episode itself and uh hop into a lighter note if you have one uh no not What'd really you get for Christmas, babe? <laughs> oh i got a coffee table i got a coffee table and i got socks man it was fucking amazing like socks, i'm yeah. i'm 33 if you guys you guys don't know this but we're, i'm actually recording a video to this episode because i'm gonna fuck around with it because i'm doing an interview midweek but fuck man i look 33 in this fucking with this fucking 4k video thing on me she's crazy we put like there's a little button that says enhance on the zoom thing and i just put it all the way to the right i'm like i need that filter on max but um yeah i got socks man i got socks and a coffee table for christmas which are pretty pretty good gifts for someone my age i got some cool candles too actually so i'm i'm Sweet. fucking lit what about you charlie what'd you get um just some just just some money um and uh what else do I get? Uh, 
box of Ferrero Rocher. Ooh. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> uh, and yeah, just uh, just some peace. To be honest, um, yeah, just pretty much like I, I, I've I've copped I've copped a lot in the past like a uh, few months. Um, you know, just like my camera and uh, just artwork and stuff like that. Uh, I really want to get like a speaking of coffee table, or anyone just want to get some like random coffee t- coffee table kind of material, and I just want to get like a couple of like photo books for some reason. Um, so, but yeah, uh, pass that. Yeah. I just, um, uh, uh, we, we've been renovating our kitchen. Um, so, um, like half of our house is kind of just like a bit of a dump. So, um, yeah, we were basically just like focusing on the food more than, more than actual presents and stuff. Um, but yeah, I just got, I just got some peace. So I'm, I'm fine with that. I can't complain. Money is a good uh, gift. Yeah, it's a really, it's an yeah, underrated man. gift. It's not, I, I, yeah, really, yeah, really, honestly, I feel like it has a stigma around yeah, it where it it's just like, oh, you, you didn't, you didn't think about, you didn't think about them enough. It's like, bro, they could just get what they want. Like, <laughs> just, <laughs> it's a, it's a key to just get what the fuck you want, right? Like, I saw a tweet, yeah, I saw a tweet today where it's just like, um, uh, just a bunch of men. Outside Pandora, like uh, just a uh, like uh, lining up outside a Pandora hmm. shop. So if people don't know what Pandora sh- uh, is, it's obviously just some um, you know charm bracelets, and you know you cop certain stuff, and you can make it personal, like yada yada yada. And some guy said, um, quote tweeted and said, like I work at a Pandora, and what you see every Christmas time is on the twenty fourth, you see a bunch of men lining up, and on the twenty sixth, you see their girlfriends lining up to return it. Like it's just, it's just, it's what it is. I'm just like, bro, just give him some pee, man. If you don't, if you don't feel confident that, you, that you're gonna smash out the part, just give him some pee. Just give him some pee. Uh, you know, if, if yeah. Or, or, or you do this. Ask them what they want. Yeah. <gasps> Novel shock, concept. Shock just ask horror. Them, just ask them what they want. Just, you gotta just ask them what the fuck they want. <laughs> you do have to be careful with partners, though, because I think early in a relationship, sure, you sure. gotta you gotta be listening sure. enough to to know what you sure. can't just be like. You can't yeah, just can't have some intuitive. Yeah, sure. yeah. What is that thing at the back of your room? It looks like a surfboard on your left. Which one? Yeah, that one. It's my mirror. Ah, it's, it's a, a mirror. mirror. I was like, it's Charlie surf. It's like fucking. No, hell. it's a mirror. It's a mirror reflecting a little bit of my easy painting, and then above it, on on strapped on top of it, is just uh, my bag. Um, and then there's another bag there. Yeah, so you know, it's just, uh, I've honestly my my foreground is so much better than my background. It kind of pisses me off. I can see the it's foreground like, in your glasses. It's fucking sick. The 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 reflection yeah, yeah, yeah. is like blue, and you guys is blue and green, and <laughs> it looks like Charlie's in the Matrix. He's looking at the Matrix right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. No, I hanged up my uh, well, I didn't hang up, but I stuck, <clears throat> I stuck my vinyl artwork that I got of DJ Premier like on on the right of me. Uh, and then, funny enough, uh, one of my other pieces fell off uh, the other day, so that's kind of just behind my bed right now, just sitting back there. So I have to, I don't know if I can, I don't, I don't think I can stick it back on because I've tried it twice and it's fell off twice. So you got to get the uh, the command strips. Do you guys have the command strips? In? I do, I do. That's that's what these all are, bro. That's it what these all off. are. Fuck it. You know what? Fuck it. Let's do it. Right. Oh, so got Sims. little Sims. Yeah, we've got the Sims. And then we got... Th- oh, oh, the lights are fucking up. Um, yeah, so up here on the three, uh, it's like these metal posters. Let's Shout see. to Displate. I got those years ago. I got those years ago. And I've command stripped those. Uh, that one's from... The blue one's from... Uh, I think I got it from Senegal when my, me and my dad went to Senegal. That's fire. Lauren. Oh, Lauren. these are fire, guys. Fuck. 
Yeah, this is a perfect reason to see the video. Eh? And then uh, shout out to shout out to Ricky um, who uh, got me that DJ Premier. Oh, uh, just splat splatter and just like that's that's all her man. That was all like uh, just paint and I assume some spray can. Got some Gangstar uh, logo on it. It's just it's just heat. That so, is um, yeah. fire. Oh, the Easy E thing is cool. Uh, yeah, then you got the Easy E as well and uh, my Teddy sh- from back in the day. Your chandelier. <coughs> um, <laughs> I don't I don't use that. I hate the light. Um, but that's why I use strip lights. But um, yeah, man, it's cool. Well, you know, but then there's the back, and it's just like curtain and my bed, and I have to make sure it's actually made because it just looks bad. I want to get like um, I want to get that Hokusai painting, um, the Great Wave. I, w- I really want to get that. All of a sudden, I watched a video on it a couple of days ago, um, just like a little explainer of it and how it came about. It's just super fascinating. So I really want to get that, and uh, yeah, just some stuff for the- on the right. Um, but I feel like that wall. I don't know if it's the wall or my or my uh piece of art on my bed, but. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I need. To, I, I still got some. Sp- I still got some space to fill up. So that's, that's all good. See, I'm, I'm a, try and fill it up. I'm a big like. I'm very minimalist, but I do want to display my vinyls. Like Charlie can see, you got fucking Jay Z right there. Kingdom Come. Um, yeah, back in the building. That's the only. Uh, oh it's no, back. Little, little Sims is up on my left. But like, I do want to get. I want to start filling my space up more. But I, I like minimalism so much. I really do. And my walls are. It's very chill in this in this apartment. It's like super light colors, so it's like in a lot of light. So I don't want to clutter clutter it up too much. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's a decent space, but I don't know. It's tough when you're renting because you can't really do too much. You got to like, you don't want to fuck it up. <laughs> The command strips are probably gonna rip the paint off the wall. I'm gonna have to pay for that shit. Like it's a bit. I mean, yeah, I I did that, but I forgot that you could actually do the thing with the command strips where you just pull the tab and it just comes off clean. I forgot about that, so I just yanked it off the first time. Yeah, that happened to me. Exact <laughs> same thing happened to me, and then it ripped the yeah, paint off. Just, and I'm just like, pull the tab, guys. I get, guarantee it will happen. It will come off. So. Fucking idiot. That's why. That's why. We, that's why we have command strips and not nails anymore. But that's very true. Yeah. So. If that's not a if that's not a, a hype tape uh, to to get you guys to spin the video version of this episode, um, then I don't know what will. Uh, Are we posting the video? Each other's rooms. Are we? Po- <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, if if I mean, I don't know. It's up to you. It's it's it's, it's uh, well. Ben Ben always wants to do this on a testing basis, um, but uh, yeah, you know, if he does post it, then you'll get to see. Well, you saw most of my rooms pretty small, so yeah, you saw most of my room, so yeah. I will be uh, so nice, nice little hype tape if, if and when uh, Ben posts this. I will be transparent and say that at most of the start of the video, I pinned my own video because I'm a fucking terrible narcissist, and I was just like staring at my reflection. I'm like, yeah, I look good in this angle, and then when I go down like this, I'm like, oh yeah, my beard's looking great right now. And then I realized, oh, shit, I'm recording this, so I should probably put it in gallery view so at least it looks like Charlie's involved. And then I pinned Charlie. Uh. I had Charlie pinned for a while, so I was just, like, watching Charlie. Because we don't do video. We we don't we rarely see each other in, in videos. So it was like just watching his yes. mannerisms, looking at the Matrix in his glasses and just being curious. So a strip light in it. It just looks very, yeah. If, we're, if I do put it up, I, I apologize. When I'm not really that self-obsessed. Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's gonna be fun. Uh, but yeah, we'll shall, I guess, leave it there. For, uh, so next week, uh, well, it's kind of the first first episode of twenty twenty two. We're gonna do we're gonna do a fun little contemporary call and basically just talk about our two favorite albums of the year. 
uh, of well of last of yeah of 2021 um so yeah look forward to that and uh we shall leave it there what is your what is your second one i'm are you gonna dm it to me or are you gonna hit me out of the blue uh i'll i'll give you a when, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and finish writing it tonight. So if I if and when I do, um, then I'll lash it then. But I I just don't like announcing shit until I've actually done it. Um, I might just suddenly listen to something else. I'll be just like, I need to move it down. So so you know. So I, I nearly got that with the keys album, bro. I nearly got there. I was That's like, the B dot the effect. The, the first the first. <laughs> <laughs> the, f- the first half was so clean. I was just like, "Oh my gosh, will will it will it?" Because if it do- if it doubled up on the heat, I'll be just like, "Bro, I, c- I might be undeniable." But um, yeah, the second one flopped. Um, but yeah, we're safe. I think I think we're safe for the year. <laughs> and also Spencer Pyre, man, shout out to Vic Spencer, man, because I, s- I literally said it on Twitter. I said yeah, to him, like, saw that. "Why is why is Vic and Sunny Jim dropping now? Don't piss me off and make. Don't I don't want to ruin my album list and have to move shit." And like remove something that I really enjoy that I've already written about for like seven paragraphs or whatever, um, and then uh, and then he actually hit me back <laughs> saying how was it? And I was just like, yes, yeah, he bro, he's he. Bro, he, he. Uh, That's yeah. shout out to Contract Killer man. Fuck that. Means. That song oh, that is amazing. So His flow on that is bananas. Like oh, it just goes just that, crazy. Just, just that bassline. That's that mm, boom, 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 heat. Anyway. Let's, let's finish there because uh, this will be like the first episode in ages that's finished under 90 minutes. I know. <coughs> Miracle. Um, and yeah, so, ladies and gentlemen, fun fifth and podcast network, this has been Digging Digits. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I would try to tell oh, the fifth element. I've been Ben Carter for Pop Numbers. Hope you have a good week and, uh, oh, hope you have a good Happy New Year and a uh, good start to your 20 double deuce, uh, 2022 vision. I'm very surprised, by the way, of how many rappers did not say I've got 2020 vision at 2020. So there's a few. I know there's a lot, but they, they, I thought it'd be like constant. I thought it'd be like every week there'd be just like some twat saying, oh, got 2020 vision. It's like, but we, we made it, guys. We made it. Anyway, hope you all have a, uh, hope you all had a wonderful holiday period. Hope you all have a happy new year. We've got plenty of stuff coming through on the fifth element. Um, got the EP list uh, dropping on Monday, so it's the day before this episode drops. And then we got the five EPN special dropping on the thirty first, um, because apparently uh, dropping on New Year's Eve is disencouraged. Uh, uh, in- Wait, so shout what? Shout to Mickey, you wanted to drop. Because shout to Mickey, you wanted to drop on Monday. So you know, it is what it is. You so wanted to drop on Monday. It's so coming out on the th- third. You said. Uh, what? What is? Wait, did you say the five VPN special? Yeah, five VPN special dropping on New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. Um, so that's so that's Friday. Um, so yeah, that's dropping on Friday. And the uh, final uh five VPN radio Ch- chilling with Charlie on Thursday as well. And I'll probably drop um first half of my album list on Wednesday just to fill fill the days up. Why not? And then maybe uh, the second half on the thirty fourth, the thirty first depending on my mood so with that said hope you all had a good week have a happy new year have a great 2022 and until the next time we shall see you on the other side all right peace digging in digits is produced by me and ben carter the show was edited by me music for the show is pc mini games by bonus points that's a trail practice for to use 
socials, so fulfillment, hip hop via numbers, bonus points, and show up records will be in the full show notes wherever you're listening. This has been a fifth in podcast production. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you in 2022. I'm digging digits. <laughs>